Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, we just thank you today for Holy Spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here to work, to massage something into our spirit. Father, right into the deep tissue of our heart so that God, our lives, Father, are transformed in a way that we are tuned to your Holy Spirit, tuned to you, tuned to your voice, tuned to what you want to say to us and do through us. And Father, we thank you for giving us Holy Spirit to abide with us, to direct us, to speak to us, to encourage us, to comfort us. And we give you praise today because your presence abides with us. And we thank you, Lord, for your word today. And we ask, God, that you would open our hearts to understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy New Year, everybody. It is good to see you here today in the house of the Lord. I don't think there's any better place to be on New Year's Day than in the house of the Lord. Amen? And it's an opportunity for us to start the year off giving praise to God. Amen? And this year just happens to be on a Sunday, so it's an awesome opportunity for us. We're already here, and uh, we're, we're already programmed in our weekly activities to be here, but it's also New Year's Day, so we get to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, to give thanks to Him, as we've already done in song, for all that He has done, look to His goodness for the coming year, and you know, and we celebrate together. And we do have much to be thankful for as we look back on the past year. I know for some people, uh, 2022 was a, a disappointment. I think what people shared with me was, you know, we were, we were locked down for so long, I was expecting 2022 to just be like, like the whole year would be a, a day at the beach. Do you know what I mean? I think that's how people thought it was going to be. And so when it didn't meet some of those expectations, there was a bit of disappointment. But you know, I think it was a, a good year. I think God was, was amazing. And I, you know, as a house, it was a great year for Desert Stream. It was a phenomenal year. And we're just so gra- grateful for all that God has done. And so at this time of year, people do posture themselves and take a look back and go, man, it was a good year, or man, it was a tough year. And we do some of that. But I think at this time of year, most people, at least the unchurched, somebody's car in the parking lot's beeping, by the way. Uh, but the, the unchurched primarily look forward rather than looking back, right? They, the habit on New Year's is to make resolutions, to look at what's you know, uh, coming down the road, what you're looking forward to. So I did a little bit of New Year's resolution research. I found this kind of interesting, all right? Uh, so here you go. According to a 2016 study, 41% of people who make New Year's resolutions by the end of the year, only 9% feel like they've kept them. Would it say that they've kept those? 9%. So uh, when they surveyed, 41% of the population said, yes, we made a New Year's resolution, but at the end of the year, only 9% said that they had kept them. An earlier study uh, in 2007, so going back a little further, showed that 12% of the people who set a New Year's resolution were successful in keeping it. So it seems that we're getting worse at keeping them 
and better. We went from 12% to 9%. Bottom line is this. If 9% of people keep them, 91% don't. So if you've ever failed on New Year's resolution, you know, don't feel bad. You're in the 91%, all right? You know, in school, weren't you always trying to get into the 90 percentile? Wasn't that the goal? Wasn't that the objective? So if you haven't, you're already in the 91 percent. I mean, that's, that's good. <laughs> uh, of those who make a New Year's resolution, ready for this, after one week, 75 percent say they're successful in keeping it. So there's a 25 percent drop-off in one week. <laughs> that's not good. After two weeks, it drops to 71 percent. After a month, 64. And after six months, it's below half. So, you know, it, it seems that keeping resolutions is not an easy thing. Uh, in uh, 2014, 35% of participants who failed to keep a New Year's resolution said it was because they had unrealistic goals, right? 33% said it's because I failed to track my progress. That's the reason. 23% said they forgot all about their resolution, and that's why <laughs> they didn't keep it. People are going, amen, I can relate to that. And, uh, you know, and then about one in 10 said, it's just because I made way, way too many resolutions. You know, the good news in all of this, if you're going, wow, that's not very encouraging. You know, I made a New Year's resolution last night. Listen, the good news is in all of this is that there's grace for that. There's grace for you all. Everybody say, there's grace. grace. Turn to the person beside you and say, there's grace for that. Hallelujah. And, you know, the fresh start that a new year is, is an amazing picture for every one of us of the grace of God. You know, we look at, we look at, you know, the January 1st, the new year as this picture of the grace of God. Oh, really? Whose vehicle was, was up there? (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Wasn't our truck, was it, dear? Okay, good. All right. Uh, You know, if you, if you understand biblical mercy and biblical grace, you understand that mercy, mercy is God not giving us what we have earned or deserve, right? That's what mercy is. When we have mercy on someone, we are, we are not allotting to them the punishment that is coming their way. That's mercy, right? But grace, grace is the flip side, the other side of the coin of God's redemptive power. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. Grace is God giving to us favor, forgiveness, love, the mercy that He has already bestowed. Grace is, is God's enabling power given to us when we didn't deserve it, right? So mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Can everybody say amen to that? And I think that helps. We use those words often interchangeably, but they're not really meant to be used interchangeably. They're meant to be used together. Because in God, salvation is experiencing His mercy and His grace. Amen? And New Year's is a beautiful picture of God's grace. We don't deserve a fresh start. We don't deserve the opportunity that lays before us, but we have a new year. So we go, I'm going to put the past behind me and I'm going to press forward. That is what grace is. It is the the favor of God for us to be able to lay the past, as Paul said, forgetting that which is behind and pressing on toward that which is before. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? When we started the church in 1995, which seems like an eternity ago, 
1995. And it's, it's really not that far back, but it, but it seems like a long ways back. Uh, we gave the church the name Desert Stream because we wanted it to be a spiritual refreshing in the midst of a dry and weary land. And we really felt that even though we don't live near a desert and we're surrounded by water, people thought, odd name, but it was the fact that we're looking for a spiritual oasis in the midst of a dry uh, world, a spiritually dry world. And so we thought Desert Stream just seemed to really fit. But then we had a, a tagline or a defining statement that went with it, and we said, Desert Stream, a place... You guys heard that before. That's good, yeah. And it was a place of new beginning. And we really believe that one of the calls that God placed on our heart was to focus on people who had walked away from their faith. That, that yes, there are people that never heard the gospel. We want, to, we want to see them reached as well. But we believe that there was a, a special grace resting on us to uh, be able to reach people who had, for whatever reason, walked away from their faith. Had, had not been living where God wanted them to live, where God wanted them to be. And so we believe that it was a place of a new beginning. You know, like those old, you know, cornflakes commercials when they used to say, you know, try them again for the first time, right? You know, you remember those? And it was kind of like how we encourage people that, yes, just if, if it's like you can try them again, but it's going to be like the first time. It's going to be so beautiful, so fresh, that, that God is going to meet you, and by His grace, it'll be a fresh opportunity for you to start over again in Him. You know, often we feel like the mistakes that we've made, the sins that we've committed, that they somehow anchor us and they obliterate our future. Right? That they're like a boat anchor, tying us to one place, and we can't move from that spot. And, and, and you know, I, was remember, I remember reading a number of years ago that when an elephant is, is very young, right, that they tie a rope about this big around its ankle and then drive it into a stake in the ground, right? And then the elephant tries and tries and tries, the little baby elephant tries, and it cannot free itself from that rope. Tries and tries and tries. And, and so as the elephant grows, it, it accepts the reality that I cannot get free from this rope. And so what happens is that the elephant trainer can just pick the rope up and just lead a full-grown, multi-ton animal around anywhere he wants, and the elephant just follows because he's accepted this lie that I can't break free from that rope. And they can take it and just tie it to a little wooden stake, and the elephant will just stand there because he has anchored him to a lie to a, a belief that I can't get free from this rope. But the truth is that that elephant could just rip the entire tent down. That elephant could not only break the rope, that elephant could flip a car over on its side, could do anything. But that one little lie keeps it anchored in the same place. And humans are so much like that. They say elephants can remember. Well, I got news for you. Humans remember equally well. And we accept a lie about our sin, about the things we did in the past, and we allow it to anchor us to one place. We just stay stuck in that place. And even though it's, it's as thin as a, a human hair, the lie, it's, a, it's a, just a thread, and we could snap it by God's grace just like that. We stay anchored in that one that the sin defines us when it does not. 
It does not. Corey Ashbery has a song that we sing here a lot. It's called The Father's House. How many have heard that song? Yes, if you've been here before, you've heard it. I can, I can almost promise you. And uh, anyway, I want to just read to you the lyrics because sometimes we sing them and we're not really processing what the writer says. But you need to hear what he is saying in this song. He says, Sometimes on this journey I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over. My story's just begun. And failure won't define me because that's what my father does. Did you hear that? Failure won't define me. That's what my father does. Failure won't define me because that's what my father does, does. Then he says, lay your burdens down here in the father's house. Check your shame at the door because it ain't welcome anymore. You're in the father's house. And listen to the second verse. Arrival's not the end game. Sometimes that's what we're all focused on. The, the, you know, re, we focus on retirement. We focus on, well, you know, I, uh, next week, next year, arriving at this vacation, this thing. Arrival's not the end game in God. The journey, the journey, he said, is where you are, right? And he goes, you, you God, never wanted perfect. You just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over. Hear this this morning. And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. So if you're in the midst of pain right now, if you're in the midst of difficulty, take comfort in this. The story's not over. God has not written the final line. It's not over. Are you hearing me this morning? And the story isn't over if the story isn't good. And failure's never final when the Father's in the room. Are you hearing me today? It's not final because we're in the Father's house. The Father's in the room. And that room can be just your heart. Father is right there. So failure is not final. Someone say, it's not final. Amen. In all of Scripture, I should say in the Scripture, in Matthew chapter 18, we find Jesus responding to the disciples' question, who then... <laughs> And it's one of those audacious questions. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, that's one of those, really, did, did they just ask that? You know, it's hard to imagine, but the disciples seem to have this jockeying for position to be close to Jesus. If you read through the scripture, especially Peter, James, and John, right? You see those guys kind of always wanting to be the one, right? And when, in fact, when you read John's uh, you know, gospel, he keeps referring to himself as the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, there's a guy who's, you know, he's, he's focused on that, right? You know what I'm saying? And so the three of them in scripture, they seem to have this thing going. And so they ask, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of, of, of heaven? And Jesus' answer is one of his most famous statements. And he, he calls a child into their midst, right? And then he says to the disciples, he says, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven, right? Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, right? Then he goes on to warn them that sin is bad, but it's even worse if you lead one of his little ones to sin, right? So it's bad to sin, but woe unto you if you lead one of these precious ones into sin. Then Jesus goes into one of his most famous 
statements, people like the, especially legalistic people, you know, like to quote. He says, if your, if your hand sins, cut it off. If your eye sins, pluck it out. You know, I mean, that's pretty, pretty strong uh, Hebraic language there. Then he follows up with this question, and he says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine and go look for the one that wandered off? Then he follows that with instructions on how to confront a brother with sin. You're thinking, okay, this seems all kind of random, but he's going somewhere with it. Then in the context of this entire conversation about the nature of sin and its impact on the soul and how to confront it and all of that, Jesus says this in verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, it's interesting. We love to quote this passage. It's a great word faith passage, you know. Ask whatever you will and it'll be done. And, and, and hey, it's true. However, in context, what is he actually talking about? Binding and loosing in this context is about the application of our heart to the one who sinned against us. In context, Jesus is giving the disciples an answer, a long answer to their very interesting question. And he's basically saying to them that you have been given a power to loose others and to bind others who have sinned against you. And he said, and you have been given this power, and if you bind it, then they'll be bound, and if you loose them, they'll be loosed, right? So then they fo- Peter follows that statement up with this incredible question. He said, Lord, then, because he, he understands what Jesus is talking about, he understands these passages that are in the context of sin and forgiveness. So G- Peter asks the next logical question, which is a weird question if you take it out of context, but when it's in context, it's a brilliant question. Peter says, Lord, how often shall I uh, my, uh, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? See, the question is not weird when you understand the context because Jesus is giving them some mind-blowing descriptions about some power they have to hold sin in their heart or against someone or to release them, right? So Peter's like, okay, I got this new power. I got this new superpower of forgiveness. How shall I wield it? And he looks at Jesus and he says, how many times then should I extend this forgiveness to my brother? Seven times? Feeling fairly self-righteous with that answer, right? Seven times? It's a logical question. It's only a logical question, like I said, if you understand and you pay attention to the context. You read it in the whole story. You know, Jesus just told them, you have an incredible power to bind or to loose somebody who sinned against you right? So Peter's like, so how, how, then how long, how many times before I can bind that sucker? Before I can hold it eternally against them. You can just see the gears going in his mind, right? And then Jesus comes in with the grace answer. The grace answer. Jesus said to him, verse 22, let me read this next number of verses to you because it's important. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 
Now, I don't think Peter was too stupid to figure out that that was 490. He thought, carried along. He knew. He was able to figure that out. How many here know Jesus wasn't saying 490 times? On the 491st time, that's it. You're free, Peter. You can hold it against him now, right? How many know that's not what he was saying? He was trying to make a point. Not seven times, 70 times seven. In other words, limitlessly is what Jesus was trying to say. And then to explain to Peter, to give Peter a picture of the grace of God that motivates our forgiveness, he goes into this and he says, verse 23, therefore, everybody say therefore, Therefore. the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had so the payment could be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told the master, told the king all that he had done. When his master, after all the... After Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you, if you each of you if you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, let me put the story, I'm going to break the story down in a really easy to understand fashion for us this morning. It's a kingdom story. So remember, kingdom stories are kingdom principles, right? So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells you this story. So here he goes. It is like a certain king. Who's a certain king? A metaphor here in this story for. For God, right? A certain king, God, who had a servant, you or I. Okay? Had a servant, you or I, who owed a great debt, 10,000 talents. Do you know how much that is in today's dollars? Roughly $40 million. All right? $40 million is what he owed. It was 40,800,000 actually, but $40 million. The servant, you or I, begs for leniency, right? And says to the king, to God, you know, have mercy on me, have pity, have compassion on me. I'll do anything I can to pay back what I owe. Now, how he amassed $40 million debt, I have no idea. But how many you know that's a big debt? Big debt, all right? Big debt, all right? And he says, and, I, and you know, I says, I will, I will do it. And so God, the king, the Bible says, is moved with compassion forgives the $40 million. Clear. Forgives it. He doesn't just give him the time he asked for. He forgives the debt. Right? 
forgives the debt. But the servant, you or I, goes out and finds a fellow servant, somebody else in the body, who owes them a small debt, a hundred denarii. That's roughly, in today's dollars, 68 bucks. $68. And who is that person who owes you $68? What is the debt in the context? Remember, in chapter 18, the context. What is the debt? It is a sin that's been sinned against you, and they've done something against you that's represented in the story as a small debt, $68. Why did he pick 100 denarii versus 10,000 talents? $68 versus $40 million. Because I think he's trying to send a signal to Peter in this whole thing, which we'll get to in a moment. The fellow servant, like I said, you or I, I mean, someone who's around us, he falls down and begs for patience from the servant, you or I, right? To have that debt forgiven or to have time to pay it back. But rather than forgive the servant, you or I, right? Uh, holds that person, someone else in the body, who sinned against us in prison, has them put in prison, right? When the other servants, the rest of the body, finds out about the atrocious behavior of you or I, they tell the king. And the king calls you or I in and rebukes us, reminding us of all that we've been forgiven and saying, should you not have had compassion on the one who owed you? And then you or I are thrown in prison. You'll hear us say oftentimes at Desert Stream that when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you lock yourself in a prison of your own creation. Where do we get that from? From this story. We get that illustration, that metaphor from this story. That's exactly what you or I in this story did. Having been given, forgiven 400, I mean $40 million of, of debt, $40 million of debt. The sin that we have all committed against God in our own lives is a $40 million debt. The things that we've done, the way we have, we have treated Him, the way we have neglected Him, the way that we lived our lives unto ourselves, and all the things that we did to all the people that we ever met is, a, is equivalent in God's eyes to a $40 million debt. And when we came and we throw ourselves at His feet, the Bible says that He had mercy on us and He forgave the whole thing. Wiped it clean. But how many times have we come out of the presence of God, forgiven, cleansed, made free from all that we owed Him for what we've done, and somebody in the body of Christ sins against us, offends us, and we leave the body, we check out, we walk away, we hold something in our heart, and in God's eyes, that thing that's offended us, that sin that's got us, is 68 bucks compared to 40 million. That thing that you've allowed to rob you and put you back in prison is a $68 sin. What they've done again, you say, yeah, but you have no idea what they did against me. 68 bucks. Yeah, but, the, but my business partner stole the whole business from me. 68 bucks. No, actually it was $350,000, Pastor. Yes, but in God's eyes, compared to what He's forgiven you, 68 bucks. Are you getting what he's trying to say? I understand that we've, we've all experienced pain. People have done mean things to us. And if you haven't experienced it, <laughs> you will. 
You will. It's one of those guaranteed things in life, like death and taxes. You know what I mean? It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you. Sometimes maliciously, sometimes unconsciously. They don't even realize how horribly mean or how difficult they've been. But the reality is it's going to happen to you. And you're, the weight of, of, of their actions, the, the pain that they've caused is going to tear at your heart. And, and there's going to be a tendency to want to take that person and hold them in your heart and not forgive them forever. But when you do, all you do is you create this prison cell, you walk into it, you take the key, lock it, and swallow the key. You go back to a prison of your own creation. You are free. You are free. How do you stay free? Apply the same freedom to those who hurt you. That's how we stay free. That's how we stay free. We just, we just say, God, I look at the $40 million debt you've forgiven me, and Lord, I release them. It's painful, it's hard, but I release them. Why do I release them? Because I don't want to go back to prison, God. I don't want to go back to a place where my heart is locked up because I won't forgive somebody else. I don't want to be that person. Now, I want to give you one little twist on the story that I think is really important. Very, very important. Jesus is telling this story before the death and resurrection. Here's the beautiful thing of God's grace. See, before Jesus' death and resurrection, these principles, as even laid out in the Lord's Prayer, which was also given before Jesus' death and resurrection, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's what this teaching is telling us. And that's how the kingdom was set up under law. But on the other side of the cross, in Christ's resurrection, Paul says, I forgive because you first forgave me. <laughs> it's not that... It's not that this principle isn't true. You can still lock yourself in a prison of your own creation by not forgiving somebody. But the beautiful thing by God's grace is that you can also unlock that door and walk right out. And that, and that you're able to do it. Why are you able to do it? You're able to do it because God first forgave you. Under the old covenant, right? Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who trespass against me. That's old covenant. New covenant, I can forgive because you first forgave me. New covenant. Are you hearing me this morning? I don't know if I can make this any clearer today. But under God's covenant of grace, you all have a superpower. And it's the power to forgive others. You have a superpower that's been given to you because God has first forgiven you. Now you can go out 
and forgive others. You don't have to stay in that little confined space of unforgiveness any longer. You don't have to be defined by your past failures and you don't have to allow your future to be defined by what other people's failures have done to you. Instead, you can walk free today, completely free, by the grace of God. Hallelujah. As we approach another year, 2023, I want you all to be free. I want you to be free. I don't want you to have anything in your heart that holds you back. And I want to let you know this morning that you can be completely free because Christ has already forgiven you. <laughs> He's already forgiven you. And all you have to do is just say, God, you forgave me a debt that is so huge I can't even fathom how huge it is. It's nothing for me to forgive those who have harmed me, who have sinned against me. I can do it. Now let me give a little, one more little caveat here. I think this is important. Forgiveness does not mean, right? Hear me now. Does not mean from our perspective in this, in this fleshly tent that there's no consequences for behavior. Right? So I, for example, I've had many people sin against me in my lifetime. The list is very long. And if you're a pastor, it's a very long list. Very long list. And, uh, and, and, and I've for, forgiven them. But just because I've forgiven them doesn't mean I trust them all. Hallelujah. Right? And the Bible's pretty plain about this too. It's, it talks about a thing called reconciliation. Right? So how does reconciliation happen? Reconciliation happens when, you know, you release forgiveness the person, to the person who comes and requests that. You release it. And then they turn, they do a 180 and they change their behavior so that you can be reconciled one to another. Right? Does everybody follow me? So I've used the equation here we, when I talked about the bridge of trust. Remember I used the, the, the illustration, I should say, of money. So that if somebody comes to me and they, they borrow $5 and... and uh, you know, and then they come in a week later, they give me the five bucks back, they have five dollars of trust, right? And if six months later they ask me for fifty dollars and, and it takes them a couple weeks, but they get the fifty dollars back, now they got fifty dollars of trust, right? But if the next year they ask for five hundred and I never see the five hundred, how many know their bridge of trust is fifty, right? You understand what I'm saying? And I can forgive that debt. In other words, they no longer owe me the five hundred dollars, it's forgiven right? Whenever my wife and I lend money to someone, we write it off in our mind. If they never pay me back, I cannot allow that to stand between me and them, right? Are you following me? But if they never pay it back, it doesn't mean I'm ever going to lend the money again. Hello? Right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so if, if, this, if it's established, if you never pay it back, well, I can forgive the debt. It's no longer held against them. But trust, trust, forgiveness is free. Trust has to be built. 
right? And that's even biblical. God forgives us of our sin. Then he starts to give us assignments. And, and he sees how much we're, we're, we're able to be trusted with. And the Bible talks about to some, you know, little would be given. If they prove faithful little, they get little. If they prove that they can be faithful more, they'll get more. If they prove that they can be faithful a lot, they get a lot. And sometimes you look at people and you say, why, why do they seem to be so blessed? And I'm sitting here just, mm. well, it's because probably they've demonstrated they can be trusted with a lot. So God will give them. And you need to look in the mirror and go, maybe, maybe he thinks I'm just not all that trustworthy. Ooh. That might cause you to go before the Lord and say, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And when we say that, we begin to rebuild the trust that is required. Because relationships, here's what I've learned in 30 plus years of marriage. Are you ready? Everybody says, relationships are built on love. No, they're built on trust. Love functions in the environment of trust. You take trust away, love falls through the cracks. But love flourishes in the environment of trust. Are you hearing me today? And so even though you love somebody, sometimes, sometimes you have to cut them loose because there's no trust there. Why is there no trust there? Because over and over and over and over and over again, they've demonstrated to be untrustworthy. However, we can still forgive them, but we're just not going to trust them. Do you see the difference? Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? All right. Stand with me together this morning. Uh, late 1800s, the United States was looking into health care. So let me say, maybe I should look into it again, but anyway, <laughs> looking into health care, and they discovered how many incidences of and mistakes were made in administering health care. And some of them resulted in loss of life and all the rest of it. And that's where this famous quote comes from that we've all heard before by a guy named Alexander Pope. He was one of the people who was working on the, the conclusions and the writings and, and all that kind of stuff of the investigation. And he said this, to err is human. To forgive is divine. And, and in other words, he's saying, hey, they, there's been a lot of mistakes made. There's been a lot of mistakes made and, and there will be more mistakes made because we're human. And there's been a lot of things that have been done to you and there's been a lot of things that, that have been hurtful. And because to err, to sin, is human, right? But to forgive is a divine ability that you've been given by God that you can release forgiveness to those people. And in so doing, you're able to forgive because Christ gave you a superpower called forgiveness, and you keep yourself out of prison your whole life. You live as a free man or woman by the grace of God. Woo! Wow! Are you hearing me this morning? Praise the Lord.